0: Happy Festivus, Big East fans. Unfortunately on this episode, and you may be disappointed, I will not be airing my grievances because for most of you, you've been very pleasant. So I haven't had a lot of problems with you people and you're going to hear about it now. I mean, definitely don't want to bring people down in the spirit of Christmas. But lot to break down here on this episode of The Igloo Starting with, um, again, this is going to combine things. A little risky, but you know what? Plenty of time to kill, and I definitely want to get a combined episode because it's been quite a while since I've been able to do this. So, starting with the men's side, it's going to have a sandwich segment, which I'll allude to at the end of this segment. Georgetown visiting number two UConn at Gample. The Huskies 21-point favorites in this one. But Georgetown was playing like anything but that. They didn't care what the spread was, and they were playing their butts off. And as a matter of fact, they got a seven-point lead in the second half after they started off after they went into the locker room down by seven. So their biggest lead was 58-51 with 12:50 to go. So they started the second half on an 18-4 run. Definitely a gut punch for the Huskies and probably the most adversity they faced this season trailing in the second half to a team that I think everyone knows at this point is way, way worse than UConn is. Not. let me rephrase that. Everybody knows at this point just how much better UConn is compared to Georgetown. Instead of UConn having that big second half run to start, it was Georgetown who did it, but UConn, they, you know, they would have been phased. So actually, you know, looking, so it was 58-51, and then the Huskies went on a big run. Actually, it was a 12-0 run capped off by a Joey Calcaterra 3. I mean, he was probably the player of the game because of his play off the bench. Some of the plays he made, just sensational. You know, behind the back pass for a nice assist. An insane catch and score it wasn't really an all you, but you know, he just caught it and just flicked it up all in one motion. And then, of course, the, the three pointer here with 8 16 to go to cap a 12 0 run. And the Huskies, they do enough to win this game, but was, trust me, the biggest scare that this team has faced all year 84 73, the final. You could definitely tell there was a shortening of the rotation. Tristan Newton scores 17 points and dishes out 7 assists. 4 for 6 from the floor, 2 of 4 from behind the arc. 15 for Jordan Hawkins. 5 for 15 from the floor, 3 of 9 from behind the arc. Adama Sonogo, 14 points, 7 boards, 6 with 10 from the floor. Knocked down his only 3-point attempt of the game. Obviously, the big player off the bench was Calcaterra. 17 minutes, 14 points, 6 of 11 from the floor, only 1 of 4 from 3, but that 1-3 pointer was immense. Anyways, Alex Caravan had 8 points in 23 minutes, 3 for 6 from the floor, and 2 of 5 from deep. 7 points, 8 boards, 8 assists from Andre Jackson. Just He just continues to make electrifying plays every game, every time he goes out there. Hassan Diara, five points off the bench in 13 minutes. Two points each for Donovan Klingin and Naheem Lean. So UConn, some troublesome numbers. They got out rebound at 40 28. Getting out rebound is very uncharacteristic. But they turned it all o- turned it over just seven times compared to 14 for Georgetown. And they assisted. 24 of their 30 makes. Georgetown on 27 made field goals, only six assists. The Huskies knocked down 11 three pointers. Georgetown just three. All five starters for Georgetown double figures. Primo Spears with 19, eight of 17 from the floor. 16 for Kudus Wahab with nine rebounds. And then three different, the other three starters each with 10 points. Jay Heath, 6 rebounds, 4 of 9 from the floor, and 2 of 4 from behind the arc. Brandon Murray, 5 of 12 from the field. And then a Cook against his former team, 5 rebounds, 4 of 7 from the floor, and 1 of 3 from deep. And then 4 points each for Bradley Ezeweiro and Bryson Mozone. So, Georgetown, sure, there's they still haven't won a Big East Conference game since the title game back in 2021, but... A respectable fight that they put up against the Huskies, giving them, you could probably argue, their toughest game of the season. And probably the best conference game of the whole season. Providence hosting number 24 Marquette. I swear to God, these weird games where they go to multiple overtimes. I swear to God, the vast majority of them in recent years have happened in Providence. I mean, it was a dandy of a game. Providence led by as many as 11. Try to find out when that lead happened. Here we go. So they led by, I mean, Providence was really solid in the first half. Again, they had that 11-point lead in the first half. But Marquette cut it down to one going into the locker room. They closed the half. On a 15 to 5 run, and then in the second half, Marquette their biggest lead in this one was eight points with about six and a half to go. But Providence they they clamp down on the defensive end. They close regulation. Sorry, if it's a spoiler alert. On a 12 to 4 run to force overtime, tied at 80. But the crazy so. It was actually Marquette who forced overtime with David Joplin knocking down a jumper. David Joplin's layup, excuse me, with under a minute to go. And then in overtime, I mean, this was back and forth, back and forth. You know, Providence scored the, actually I did the math wrong, so I was tied at 78. So actually, after going down 76-68. Providence scored 10 unanswered to take the lead. And then Joplin sent into overtime. And then Providence first four points of overtime. And they actually led 88 to 80. With 218 to go. And Marquette roared back. They would not go away. They were able to get. You no, know, they got one of two from Kolek. Got a turnover and a layup. I mean, they got three point play, but couldn't convert it. And then Kolek on the offensive rebound got it all of a sudden down to a one possession game. Then another turnover and another and another Kolek layup. All of a sudden you got a one point game. And then you turn it over again. And you had a missed layup. Hopkins fouled, he makes one of two, and then Kolek, back in his home state, ties it with a jumper with six seconds to go, but in double overtime, in the second overtime, Providence pulls away, and they're actually successful in doing it this time, but this time though, it was Marquette who had the early advantage in OT, in, in this overtime, they were up 96-93, halfway through the second overtime. Alan Breed clutched three-pointer to tie it once more at 96. And that was the beginning of a game-ending run. Let me rephrase that. It was a big game-ending run, Um, so Breed ties it with a three. Two free throws from Bryce Hopkins, puts them in back in front. And all of a sudden, back and forth we go. Oswee Godaro ties it at 98. But then, with rebounding and clutch free throw shooting, Bryce Hopkins with two free throws. Croswell goes one of two. They get stops that they need and some critical rebounds. And Breed goes two of two from the line to get it to a five point game. Devin Carter steals it. That's the ball game. Providence upsets 24th ranked Marquette. One o three ninety eight in double overtime Bryce Hopkins with twenty nine points and twenty three rebounds a phenomenal night for the Kentucky transfer, two other friars in double with twenty plus Croswell and Carter each with twenty Croswell seven of ten from the floor, Carter five of twelve from the floor, and two of four from behind the arc. sixteen for Jared Bynum to go with eight rebounds, six of thirteen from the floor and three of eight. From behind the arc, Alan Breed comes up with 35 huge minutes, 13 points, knocked down two three-pointers on five attempts, two of nine from the field, but seven of eight from the free-throw line. Noah lock, only 19 minutes played, five points, two of seven from the floor, one of four from behind the arc. And you look at the turnovers. Mark Providence turned it over three more times than Marquette did. And I know a lot of fans are going to be pointing out the foul margin. in terms of fouls, Marquette committed 30 compared to 17 for Providence. And again, this is over the span of a 50-minute ball game. Providence also took 49 free throws compared to 19 for Marquette. I know it's a major discrepancy, but I've said this before, I'll say it again. Games are not won and lost by the officials, they're won and lost by the players. If you want to fight me forward in the comments, on Twitter, or wherever, fine. Go at, Let's go at it. Anyways, for Marquette, Tyler Kolick back at his home state. He did foul out, but 29 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, 11 of 15 from the floor. Knocked down his only 3-point attempt of the game. 24 for Cam Jones, 10 of 22 from the floor, 3 of 10 from deep. 18 off the bench for David Joplin. He was one of three Golden Eagles to foul out in this one. Osui Godaro, 15 points, six boards, four assists, six of eight from the field in 45 minutes. Eight points for Omax Prosper. He was the final of those three Golden Eagles to foul out. Three of nine from the floor, one of three from behind the arc. Uh, Four points for Chase Ross. Two for two from the field, 20 minutes off the bench. Stevie Mitchell was held scoreless, by the way. Marquette fifty-two percent from the floor, really solid shooting numbers, but seven of twenty-one from deep. Providence was eight of twenty-three, and obviously Marquette field goal percentage-wise, they had the advantage, Make, making fifty-two percent. Also, thirty-nine field goals compared to just thirty for Providence. But again, that discrepancy in foul and number quantity of foul shots played a role because Providence. Made 35 free throws, just 13 for Marquette on 19 attempts compared to 49 for Providence. So Providence now 2-0 in the league. And we all know who they beat in their opener, Seton Hall. Pirates visited Xavier Tuesday, and they had won four in a row at CentOS going in to this one. But Xavier, you know, there were plenty of times where they... Looked like they were going to pull away in the first half and even the, and at some points in the second half. But Seton Hall just, they wouldn't go away. They kept chipping away, chipping away. Three-point game at the break. And Xavier, I mean, Seton Hall actually took the lead 50-49 with 13.30 to go on a three by Al Dawes. But Xavier went on a big run to respond. And actually, the run was a 10-2 run. Make it a 7-point game with 8 minutes left. And another big run for Xavier. I mean, it was tied at 61. Femio O'Kali tied it up with 5 minutes to go. Xavier's 7-0 run, prompting a timeout. Capped off by a Zach Fremantle 3. And by the way, the New Jersey native historically has hadn't been very good against the Pirates. But on this particular night, he had it going And there were plenty of times, Seton Hall probably should have been out of it, but they clawed, they scratched and they clawed, and they actually had a really good shot attempt on just a well-executed play, drawn out of the timeout, but they executed everything but getting the shot to fall. The three from Jameer Harris- misses, and that does it. Xavier wins 73-70 to approve to 2-0 and in conference play and 10-3 overall. 23 points, 9 boards for Zach Fremantle on 10-16 of 16 shooting, and that only 3-pointer that he took, as you know now, he made. 16 for Colby Jones, 6 of 11 from the floor, 1 of 4 from behind the arc, 8 boards, 6 assists. Sule Boom, who has been the guy for this Xavier team, not as great, not as best up 4 for 11 from the floor, 2 of 5 from deep. Just 10 points, 7 assists. How about 11 points, critical off the bench in 17 minutes for Jerome Hunter. 5 rebounds as well for the transfer from Indiana. 8 points for Adam Kunkel, but really struggled. 2 of 9 from the floor and 1 of 7 from deep. Jack Nungee was held to just 4 points off from the free throw line in 8 minutes. And 8 rebounds, excuse me, in 26 minutes. And then only a free throw in 15 minutes from Desmond Claude. Xavier, nearly 45% from the floor. Only five made three-pointers on 20 attempts. So, really surprising to see Xavier struggle to shoot the ball like that. Luckily for them, Seton Hall, I mean, granted, they were overall better shooting percentage-wise. But not by much. But just four made three-pointers on 17 attempts. And Seton Hall, I mean, they pointed it out. They are one of the top teams of the country in terms of getting to the line. And they're in the bottom 100 in terms of free throw percentage. And part of that is what's killing this team and why they can't win. And they waste another really solid outing from Kadari Richmond. I mean, his turnover's number's got to go down. He can turn it over five times. But 17 points, four boards, five assists, seven of ten from the floor... And he had a chance, Like first of all, he should have had a three-point play. It was an easy one, and he, and he missed. And then he went one of two from the free-throw line to waste that opportunity. When two free-throws would have tied it, if he got the three-point play, they would have been ahead. Just missed opportunity after missed opportunity. Tyree Samuel played 26 minutes, scored 14 points, and grabbed six rebounds. Ten for Al Dawes, three of eight from deep, three of 13 overall. Nine points off the bench for Trey Jackson. Four of seven from the floor. Knocked down his only three-pointer of the game. Eight points for Femio Odukale, who missed Saturday's game due to injury. Nine boards, four assists, and 31 minutes in his first game back, coming off that injury. Casey Ndefo, uh, Defo, five points, two of three from the floor. And he had that bucket that got it down to a one-point game. And five, uh, five points for Dre Davis in 15 minutes. Tay Davis with a couple free throws in 11 minutes. So Pirates down to 0-2 in the league. And Xavier up to 2-0. Seton Hall, excuse me, St. John's Villanova at the fin. Early on, looked like St. John's was going to boat race the Wildcats. 29-18 with 16 to go in the half on a three by David Jones. It's part of a pretty big run. An 18 to 6 run for the Johnnies. But then Villanova caught fire to end the half. And St. John's, they couldn't score. If I'm being honest. 17 to 2 run puts Villanova ahead at halftime. And I mean that. Was a backbreaker for St. John's. They just never fully recovered. And Villanova pulls away and wins 78 63. Leading the way for the Cats. 18 points for Eric Dixon. Seven of 16 from the floor. Two of five from behind the arc. Brandon Slater was 16. Four of eight shooting, two of four from deep. 13 each for Caleb Daniels. And the big, you know, X factor performance. Jordan Longino in 25 minutes with 13 points, 5 of 5 from the floor, 1 of 1 from deep. They needed him to step up, and he most certainly did. Mark Armstrong and Cam Whitmore, each with 8 points. Armstrong in 25 minutes did it as a starter, 3 of 8 from the floor, 5 rebounds. Whitmore in 20 minutes off the bench, 10 rebounds, 3 of 9 from the floor, 0 of 2 from deep. Chris Arcidiacono with just 2 points in 32 minutes, 5 assists and three rebounds, big reason why St. John's lost, couldn't hit shots, just 36% from the floor, 24% from behind the arc, whereas Villanova was 47.5% from the field, and 6 of 19 from deep, you know, it's not that much better than the 24%, but still, it's, Better in the sense of, oh yeah, St. John's 3-for-6 from the free-throw line. Villanova was 16-of-17. So, for St. John's, Joel Soriano, another double-double, albeit in a losing effort. 17 points, 13 rebounds in 30 minutes. 15 for A.J. Store off the bench in 18 minutes. 6-of-9 from the floor, 3-of-5 from behind the arc. David Jones with 9 points, 4-of-14 four from the floor, though. 1-of-5 from behind the arc. Eight points for Montez Mathis, three of eleven from the floor, two of five from deep, six each for Pasha Alexander and Andre Corbello. Corbello with five boards and five assists. The, those two combined to shoot 0 of 5 from behind the arc and just 6 of 23 overall from the field. So St. John's now one and one in the league. Villanova, that's that's a win in their biggest opener. Now, Butler Creighton, Thursday night. Ryan Kochbrenner back for the Blue Jays, and boy, did they miss him. The fans missed him, and so as, as as I mentioned, his team certainly missed him because you could see the energy back within this team with his return. And they withstood, you know, Butler started off pretty solidly, but Creighton, they got up six at the break. And they just steamrolled Butler in the second half with stifling defense. And Creighton, after a six-game losing streak, back in the win column. And coincidentally, with Ryan Kalkbrenner back in the lineup. 78-56 the final, and it was Kalkbrenner who led all scorers in this game with 19 points in his return. 8-9 of from the floor, and also knocked down his only three-pointer of the game. Four of five starters for the Jays and double figures. Fourteen for Baylor Shireman. Six of nine from the floor. Two of five from behind the arc. Also had eight boards for assists. Twelve points for Arthur Kaluma, Four of ten from the floor. Two of three from deep. Eleven for Ryan and I As far as I'm concerned. You know, looking at the numbers that numb heart had been putting up in the games that you know, missed. I mean, not great. Well, I mean, if you want to count Nebraska, cause that's where Cockbrenner, I mean, he was laboring and he barely played. Actually, no, no, it's 32 minutes. Never mind. So in the in the three games that Kalkbrenner missed, Nemhar was only averaging six points. So he was looking a lot more like himself. 11 points, five assists, four of eight from the floor, one of three from deep. Trey Alexander had a tough time getting things going. Eight points, two of three from deep, two of seven from the floor. Nine points for Frederick King off the bench in 10 minutes. In relief of Kalkbrenner, Three of perfect from the floor, three for three, and three for four from the charity stripe. Pretty good for him. Meanwhile, they got a three-point play late from freshman Xander Yates, and they also got a couple of free throws in seven minutes from Mason Miller. And Creighton was—they just—they rebounded well, 37-19 edge on the glass. They shot it really well too, 56% from the field and an even 50% from behind the arc. And they also, defensively, they were great, too. They hold Butler to just 2 of 12 from behind the arc. And as a whole, though, Butler was 42% from the field. 22 of 45 inside the arc is a heck of a lot better. Uh, Chuck Harris, the only player double figures for the Dogs with 14, 6 of 12 from the floor, and 1 of 3 from behind the arc. 9 points for Jaden Taylor. Three three of nine from the field, though. Eight points for Seamus Lukosius. Five rebounds, three of ten from the floor. By the way, Harris had one of those two three-point makes for Butler. Six of 12 from the floor, one of three from behind the arc. Manny Bates, six points and just two rebounds. Three of six from the floor. Jalen Thomas. Only his second game of the season for Butler this year, the... Georgia State transfer had 8 points off the bench in 15 minutes on 4 or 5 shooting. Ali Ali, in just his second game back, he had 7 off the bench in 21 minutes, had that other 3-point make for Butler. 1 of 3 from D, 3 of 8 from the floor. And then the only other, they got 2 points each from Pierce Thomas and Eric Hunter Jr., And it was Thomas who did it off the bench. Hunter, in 31 minutes, again, just those two points, was battling foul trouble. So, big bounce back win for Creighton. And as we all know, they will be facing DePaul Christmas Day in Omaha. And joining me next to discuss that game and tell the the brief story about how he learned that this game was gonna come to fruition back in the summer. Zach Helms from Cray Takes is gonna join me right here, right now, to preview this game and more. And obviously talk about as we just I just recapped uh Creighton's big bounce back win after that six game losing streak where they knocked off Butler in their first big East home game of the year leading up to that Christmas Day tune up. Not tune-up, match-up. I don't even know what I'm doing. If any, if it's Festivus, the only one I need to air grievances with right now, that's me. Let's hope I can do better in the second half of the show and on this segment that you're going to hear right now with Zach Helms. Welcome back to the Igloo. A Christmas Day treat for all. Sunday, 4.30 on Fox. First Big East game, conference game to take place on Christmas. In the since realignment to Paul Creighton from the CHI Health Center in Omaha. Joining me to preview this game, he's simply known as CrayTakes Takes on Twitter, and he played a role in first breaking the story that this game is going to even happen back in the summer. It is Zach Helms. Zach, um, I know we've been talking for a few months, but uh, it's actually good to actually get you on the show here.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, super excited. Uh, it's a unique game on a sunday there's not that many christmas games on around the country but i'm really excited to watch the jays
0: yeah i mean obviously you know the nba is going to have their own spotlight and you know, only a handful of like three nfl games but i mean out of the the nfl games they don't mean shit to me but uh, DePaul the paul craig is a better draw so let's talk about how you know you came to find out that this game is going to happen um what were your initial thoughts you know just finding out that this was going to be a thing and you know, was there any perception of, you know, how are the fans going to react to this too?
1: Yeah. So I had one of my buddies actually text me. He kind of has a relationship with the athletic director and he texted me like, yo, Crane's going to play on Christmas. And I was like, are you kidding? Like this has never happened before, but I kind of dug into it. I asked some other sources and stuff and sure enough, it was confirmed. And um, yeah, it's just, I think the crowd, it's going to be, it's probably not going to be as big, but you saw last night, if you watched Creighton versus Butler, it was probably 20. The wind show was like 25, 30 below, and we still had a pretty good crowd. So I think that the Jays will bring a good crowd.
0: So let's talk about the Butler game last night. I mean, you had a six and 0 start. You lose six in a row. You needed this one. And not only did Ryan Brenner come back, which is a huge boost, but it's not the fact that they just wanted to get back in the win column. It's how they did it. I mean, what impressed you the most about Creighton's play last night?
1: I really like the grit we had last night. And that's something that this team has been missing. Um, I just felt like, you know, we were more locked in, we were all like, Playing well together, uh, we made a lot of good hustle plays. Our defense was phenomenal. We held Butler to fifty six points. So, um, yeah, I just felt like that. You know, we were actually in it this time, and our heads were in it. And uh, when adversity hit, you know, we kept going forward. And you know, Butler had an early run at the beginning, and uh, yeah, we overcame that.
0: So, I mean, how would you evaluate? You know, first game back for Ryan Caulkrenner.
1: Uh, talk, yeah, he played. I mean, he was eight for nine from the field. Um, he just does so many things though that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Like, I feel like he alters almost every shot that uh, his opponents throw up in the paint. So that's just that's huge right there. And then, uh, just kind of like the pick and roll threat. Obviously, Fred King has been great for us uh, the past few games, but it's just a different look with Calk Runner because you know, he's seven foot one. And uh, he's just so much of a bigger
0: threat when he
1: rolls to the rim.
0: So with this game, Christmas Day, I mean, this this DePaul team, they're really depleted. I mean, they're still without Nick on Genda. Your NA hasn't played in a while. And one of their top transfers still hasn't seen a game yet this year. I mean... Creighton, at least, is coming off a of win. DePaul, I mean, they're about as down as you could possibly get. I mean, if you're Creighton, I mean, you have to take advantage.
1: Yeah. I, I've i watched DePaul a little bit this year, and, um, you know, it's kind of like your uh, traditional DePaul team in the past few years, I feel like, kind of without that superstar. Uh, of course, they have Javon Johnson, and I really like his game. He shoots the ball really well from three. Uh, And then Umoja Gibson, uh, Creighton was actually after him in the transfer portal. He can really shoot the ball, too. So I think that it'll be a lot of, you know, same thing as last night, locking in. I think that we are quite better. Our players are quite better than theirs. But it's just the thing if we can lock in or not, because I think it was kind of the same thing with Arizona State, BYU, Nebraska. But uh, if this team locks in, then. I think that we won't have too much of a problem. But uh, we definitely have to guard the three-point line, and we have to take good shots because I think uh, one of the big weaknesses of DePaul is their size. Their, uh, I think their tallest dude is six eight, with your out. So, And he's not like um, it, was Deshaun, right? Yeah, Deshaun he's Nelson. Not like, yep, he's not like – he weighs like 205. He's not that too big of a guy. So um, I really think we're going to pound it in tomorrow. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner should have a huge – or, sorry, Sunday. Kalkbrenner should have a huge game, and then I would look for Kaluma to really have a good game too.
0: So the big thing is with um with Creighton, you know, I think the running narrative is they haven't lost to them since January of 2015. It's been a long, long time. Uh, you know, you try not to think about that, try not to jinx it. Uh, but what are the things that DePaul is going to have to do in order to pull off a miraculous, a Christmas miracle, if you will.
1: <laughs> they're going to have to really hit shots and they're capable. They're definitely capable. They beat UTEP by 21 and UTEP is a really dang good scrappy team. Um, but then they have games also like, you know, they get blown out by Northwestern and St. John's. So it's a lot. For DePaul, it's going to be a lot of, you know, if they can hit shots or not. And I think Creighton last night did a really good job of defending the three. So, like I said earlier, you know, if we're locked in, uh, I don't think that'll be too big of a problem. And then DePaul is really going to have to rebound because I think in almost all of their losses, they've uh, gotten out-rebounded. But then in their wins, they dominate the boards on the other team. So, DePaul is definitely capable, like they are every year, but uh, we just need to really lock in and focus and kind of like, you know, not really think like, you know, it's Christmas, just treat this as another game.
0: That is 100% fair, and you tried not to take the history into account, you know, with all the consecutive wins against DePaul and and, and all that jazz. So, um I mean, let's talk about a game prediction here. I mean, I think it's pretty decided. And like, we each got Creighton winning. I mean, what do you think of potentially, you know, margin of victory here?
1: I'm thinking, like, you know, it, it all comes down to, like, if the pole is hitting shots or not. But I just don't think that they can hang with uh, the offense that Creighton is going to bring on Sunday. Um, I had 79 to 60 Creighton. Um, I think you know. I think that we're super locked in right now. I think that, um, I think that this is going to be the start of a winning streak, and I do think that we're the same team that we were at the beginning of the year. Uh, something that uh, Coach McDermott said is that uh, he said before the Marquette game is that they every single person had um, came down with some sickness through Maui, so he didn't feel like that everyone was quite back to normal until that Marquette game, except Ryan Kalkbrenner, because obviously he was out. So I would say that last night was probably the first game back to where everyone felt good, and we probably had an 80 85% Kalkbrenner. And uh, you saw what we did to Butler. So, you know, I'm going to be brave and say it, but I still think that uh, the preseason expectations aren't an overreaction and uh, I'm I'm trusting this team is going to come out with more fire and with more focus for the rest of the season. So I think uh, DePaul, um, we're going to beat them pretty well. And then, uh, yeah, that'll be two in a row. And then I think we're going to get after it after that and get some more dubs.
0: So a funny thing is, you know, you brought up a 19-point margin of victory, which is exactly, ironically enough, what I have it at, 81-62. Uh-oh nice uh, i mean it's funny how that you know pans out but uh you know as i as a, obviously you want to start a winning streak you know it's funny how um i think lou brown said it in major league you know we win you know we won one yesterday we won one today as two in a row we win tomorrow that's what we call a winning streak so they they're at they're they're at they could get two in a row it become a real winning streak After Christmas, and I want to talk about that upcoming schedule. Because in the new year, I mean, early on they got to go to Gamble to play UConn. Uh, They they have Seton Hall, I think, before that at home. So I mean, looking at the upcoming schedule for Creighton, in order to keep the momentum going, I mean, what are some really important games you know coming up? You know, after the holidays and even into the new year that you're keying in on that you know Creighton's got to win in order to continue, as you say meeting that preseason expectation of being the top dog
1: yeah so i kind of said it a lot last year uh it was probably january i kind of knew we were going to be on the edge of a bubble team or not um but we could probably say at this point this year every single game from here on out is the most important game of the season and that's what i think that the jays should take that to heart with because you know you just got to take it game by game but you know a game in the Arizona state game, BYU game, that could, those games could have been the most important games of the season too, because that could cost us in March when the seating comes out. So I'm looking ahead and I see Seton hall. Uh, we lost, it's at home. We lost to them last year at home on senior night. Um, but a whole different Seton hall team uh, with Shaheen and stuff. So, um, you know, there's no guaranteed wins. Obviously we're going to have they're going to have to work for every single uh, win. But I think that's something that we learned over the six game skid is that I think that we thought we could have just rolled over teams uh, just by playing our game. But I mean, this is the highest level basketball in division one. So we're going to have to bring it every night. And I think that that mentality is fixed. So that six game losing streak is going to be for the better in March.
0: And, you know, it's crazy, you know, we are, you know, so many days away, you know, Christmas days, you know, it's X amount of weeks until Selection Sunday, which, if I do the math correctly, and bear with me here. Okay, that's, it's 11 weeks, 77 days, quick math, let I didn't get a five in the EP Calc exam for nothing. <laughs> I don't miss Alexander, by the way. But I mean, so Christmas Day will be, you know, this game being 77 days, 11 weeks from Selection Sunday, a lot of time left for the Jays to still prove their worth and, and even prove that even with the UConn and as well as They've been playing as potentially the best team in the country. Um, Creighton can still find a way to knock them off the pedestal um, if they continue their play. But obviously, you know, they got to start there Thursday night and they look to keep it going. Christmas Day, 430 on Fox against the DePaul Blue Demon. Zach Helms, great takes, uh, joining the show uh, on this episode to break it all down. Zach, thank you so much for the time. Um, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and and, and your family as well. And uh, look forward to catching up, you know, talking more Creighton Hoops in the, down the line.
1: Yep, Merry Christmas. Thank you very very much for having me on
0: wrapping up the episode. No pun intended after this. So I know I said wrapping up the episode, but in the spirit of Christmas, I know this episode is probably going to like end up dragging out, but at this point I don't care. I just want to just, obviously I want to give myself a break, you know, for Christmas and everything. So might as well segue over to the second half of the show. Let's talk about what happened in Biggie's women's hoops. A lot of games to go through. Uh, two on Tuesday and then a bunch of matinee games uh, from Wednesday. Uh, so, Tuesday morning, Providence visited Sacred Heart. And it was Providence up fourth at break. Sacred Heart, big third quarter. And they went up. They went up seven. Going into the fourth quarter, but... My God, what a run for Providence. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. It was just incredible. So Sacred Heart started off with the first two points of the fourth. Okay, like they're up nine. Which ended up being their biggest lead of the game. And how did Providence respond? How about a 26-0 run? to go from a nine-point deficit to a Sacred Heart's biggest lead to Providence's biggest lead in the span of nine minutes. Sacred Heart scored the final five points of the game, but Providence, with that big 26-0 run, they beat the Pioneers on their home court 64-52, Kylie Shepard and Bryn Farrell each with 13 points to lead the way for the Friars. Shepard with 10 rebounds. And Farrell, 3 of 5 from deep, 4 of 9 from the field. 12 points off the bench in 28 minutes from Grace Afosa, was 6 of 10 from the field. Janae Crooms, pretty well-rounded game for her. 10 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 11 points, and 8 boards from Olivia Olson. They got two each from Logan Cook and Arias Scott in a free throw from Audrey Koch. Providence, 43-35 edge on the glass, and they shot better. Nearly 42% from the field, 4 of 10 from that's 40%. Sacred Heart, yeah, they made more three-pointers at eight, but they were just 33% overall from the field, 32% from behind the arc. Leading the way for the Pioneers, 14 for Nysera Pryor. 5 of 18 from the floor, though, and 2 of 5 from behind the arc. 13 for Amelia Wood, 5 of 9 from the floor, 3 of 4 from behind the arc. 8 points off the bench in 23 minutes from Walisha Jackson. 6 points for Kelsey Wood, the older sister of Amelia Wood. Four points each from Sierra Johnson and Carly Stromel, And then a three from Sejada Bonner. And she was just one of seven from deep and one of nine overall. I mean, talk about a major turnaround. Providence down nine at the start of the fourth to a 26 nothing run to win by double digits. Meanwhile, top 25 matchup in Palo Alto, number 21 Creighton, visiting number two Stanford. Stanford started off red hot. They were up 27-10 to 10 after one, but Creighton, they kind of crept back into it a little bit. It was 44-30 at halftime. And then Stanford, because obviously the first and third quarters were backbreakers for the Jays. If you want to combine those two quarters, Stanford had the edge 41-18. to 18. Second and fourth, Creighton had the edge there by 10, 41-31. But in the end, it's a 13-point Stanford win, 72-59 the final, leading the way for the Cardinal. 17 from Talana Lopolo, 6 of 13 from the floor, 5 of 11 from behind the arc. 16 for Haley Jones, 7 of 14 from the floor, 1 of 3 from deep, 8 assists and 4 rebounds. For the senior, 14 points for Cameron Brink and 16 rebounds. Stanford dominated the glass. They double up the Jays 50-25. And with a bigger team like Stanford, who has the center Brink at 6-4. Yeah, um, clear size mismatch. They also happen to get 11 points from their other big Kiki Iria Nine rebounds for her. Four for eight from the floor. Uh, they had two different players, each with four points, which were Hannah Jump and Elena Bosgana. And then three different players off the bench, each with two points. Brooke Dimitri, Francesca Belibi, and India Navar, Stanford 46% from the field. Not as great from three, but inside the arc, I mean, they were eating up Creighton alive. Inside the arc, 22 for 37 compared to Creighton, who is 9 of 31 from deep, 11 of 25 inside the arc, leading the way for the Jays, 18 from Lauren Jensen, 6 of 14 from the floor, 2 for 6 from deep. 11 for Emma Ronzik, four for 11 from the floor, though two of six from behind the arc, Morgan Molly, with nine points all from behind the arc, where she was just three of 10 0 for four inside the arc, seven points for Rachel Saunders in 24 minutes. Molly Mogensen had six points on two of seven shooting and one of five from behind the arc. So, um, I guess, you know, the, the lineup change that, uh, Coach Flannery's made, you know, moving Carly Bachelor to the bench and Saunders into the lineup hasn't quite been yielding the results he's wanted. You know, we'll see after the holiday break how much, if he sticks with it or if he changes it again, maybe going back to what was working before. I mean, we'll see. Uh, Jamie Horan, eight minutes, five points off the bench, two of three from the floor and one of two from deep. Mallory Break, 11 11 minutes played, just two points, and then a free throw from Carly Bachelor in just 15 minutes. So, a lot of matinee action to uh, swing through now. Villanova hosting LaSalle. They win the Big Five title outright, and they do so in pretty dominant fashion. They win every quarter and route to an 81-55 win to improve to 10-3 and on the year. Maddie Segrist with 31 points and 11 rebounds, 11 of 20 from the field, And if I do the math correctly, she now needs only 230 more points to pass the legendary Shelly Pennafather, Utica native, to become the all-time leading scorer in Villanova history. And for for those of you that don't know Shelly Pennafather, she, if you've seen E60, there was a feature on her back in 2019 that talked about how she went away from basketball to become a cloistered nun which she has been doing since 1994 and the story that they did was her being able to hug and actually touch and hold all the people that were so close to her before she went went into her devotion as a nun And it's just touching, but like, and most people, because of what she did, you know, her life, her change in lifestyle, people forget how good she was. She won the Wade trophy as a senior, which is given out to the best women's college basketball player in the country annually. And Shelly also was a three-time Biggies player of the year on top of being the recipient of the Wade trophy as a senior back in 1987. Am I being biased for trying to you know, give Utica a shout-out here and talking about how good Shelly Pentafother was and tying it back in? Sure. But on a national scale, she was still so good. And she was a high school All-American in leading Notre Dame High School to a state championship in her senior year. 19 points for Lucy Olson, though. 7 of 14 from the floor. 3 of 4 from behind the arc. 6 boards. 8 assists. How about this, though? 18, a career high for Caitlin Oriole. 6 of 8 from the floor, 4 of 5 from behind the arc. She really had it going on in 23 minutes off the bench. 6 points for Christina Dalcy. She did foul out, only playing 14 minutes. 3 for 5 from the floor. Maddie Burke with a 3. And 2 points for Brooke Mullen. 5 boards and 4 assists. 2 points as well for Anahe Lee Colley in 12 minutes. And Oh yeah, she also fouled out. Wildcats over 50% from the field, even 50% from behind the arc. And they hold LaSalle to just 33% from behind the arc and right around that mark, thirty three 32.8% from the field overall. 14 points to lead the way for Kayla Spruill. 13 off the bench in 20 minutes for Gabby Crawford. And that was only in 20 minutes. Spruill played 28 minutes. 11 points. In 18 minutes for Claire Jacobs. 4 for 12 on the floor. 3 of 6 from behind the arc. 8 points off the bench from Mia Jacobs. And that is her younger sister. And then you had 4 different players each with 2 points. A free throw from Charity Shears. And... Amy Jacobs, Claire Jacobs' twin, was held scoreless in 20 minutes. So Villanova, outright winners in the Big Five. Now, Big East, matinee action. Number nine, UConn hosting Seton Hall at the XL Center. Now in a Big East game, no AZ FUD, no problem. I mean, I knew they'd do all right, but I mean, they really just dominated Seton Hall. At every turn, and they cruise to a 98-73 victory in Hartford. All five starters in double figures. They shot it lights out from the field. They dominated the glass. The only big thing is, you know, they're gonna have to limit the turnovers. Obviously, the second game now without Gino Oriella, Uh CD on the sidelines uh in his place for UConn. Now 15-0. In place of Geno. All time. So, six players in double figures. All five starters were also in double figures. Aliyah Edwards, 23 points on 9 of 13 shooting. 16 for Nika Mule to go with 11 assists. Her first career double-double. 5 of 8 from the floor and 4 of 5 from behind the arc. 14 for Lou Lopez child, 6 of 10 from the floor. 2 of 4 from deep. How about 16 off the bench From Caroline Ducharme, 6 of 8 from the floor, 4 of 6 from deep, 5 rebounds in 27 minutes. 13 for Aubrey Griffin, 7 rebounds, 5 of 8 from the floor and 1 of 2 from deep. And then a double-double for Dorky Yuhas, 10 points, 11 rebounds, 5 of 11 from the field. Amari DeBerry with 4 points in 5 minutes, 2 points in 11 minutes for Ayanna Patterson. UConn, 60% from the floor, 52% from deep. 11 three-pointers compared to 9 for Seton Hall, but Seton Hall shot way more threes. They made 9 of them, but on 29 attempts And the Huskies, twenty they out-rebound Seton Hall 44-26. 18 points to lead the way for Sidney Cooks. 8 of 15 from the floor and 2 of 4 from behind the arc. Lauren Park Lane, 17 points and 4 assists is solid, but the shooting numbers obviously don't line up. Just 5 of 21 from the field and 3 of 12. From behind the arc. Nine each off the bench from Kay Satterfield and Jayla Jordan off the bench. Satterfield, 19 minutes played, five rebounds. Jordan, 16 minutes, four rebounds. Three of five from deep and three of six overall. Seven points for Maya Bembry in 19 minutes. You had four points from Azana Baines in 17 minutes. They got a three from Shailen Pinkney native of East Hartford. And then three different players with two points each. Shea Hagan's only had a couple of free throws. And then Kayla Harris and Amari Wright each had two points. So that loss snapped Seton Hall's seven-game win streak. And UConn, with that one, they improved to 9-2. and two. Number four, Indiana hosting Butler. I respect the Bulldogs for... You know, they didn't relent. And a a bad second quarter was what did them in. But they were right there with the number four team in the country, an undefeated Indiana team. The other three quarters, they were right there. As they were only outscored by four points in the other three quarters. Again, that second quarter made the difference. Indiana outscored Butler 20-7. They win 67-50. So the other three quarters... It was only 47-43, so I know it's a loss, but still a lot of positives to take from this if you're Butler. Anyways, for Indiana leading the way was Mackenzie Holmes with 21 points, 8 of 12 from the floor, knocked down her only three-pointer of the game. 13 from Yarden Garzon, who, if I'm not mistaken, is the younger sister of Leor, former Villanova Wildcat. 4 of 11 from the floor. 3 of 8 from deep. 10 points for Sydney Parrish. 4 of 8 from the floor. And 2 of 4 from deep. 9 points for Sarah Scalia. Not her best shooting day. 4 of 12 from the floor. And 1 of 4 from deep. 8 points off the bench from Lexus Bargesser. In 19 minutes. And 6 rebounds. They also got 6 points. Granted, on one of six shooting from Chloe Moore McNeil. Indiana, they shot better, and they rebounded much better. 38-26 on the glass. Seven three-pointers compared to Butler's five, and they also shot 44% from the field compared to Butler's 36%. Leading the way for the Dogs, 13 from Rachel McLemore on four of 12 shooting and one of five from behind the arc. 11 for Sydney James to go with 5 rebounds. 7 off the bench from Kendall Wingler, 3 of 6 from the floor and 1 of 3 from deep. Maybe she could be that spark plug off the bench, you know, if you need to need quick scoring. Wingler's who you're going to turn to. In terms of, you know, knocking down a couple shots, getting the offense alive. Meanwhile, 5 each for Caroline Strand and Tenley Dowell. Strand two for five from the floor. Dowell two for four. Each of them knocked down a three. Four points in 11 minutes for Kelsey Taylor and then a three for Shea Frederick. And then two points in 18 minutes off the bench for Trinity White. Butler falls to five and seven. Indiana remains undefeated at 12 and 0. Georgetown hosting North Texas. no First of all, you know, it was a tie game after one, but from there it was all Georgetown in the second quarter it was 15 to 4 so Georgetown went into the locker room up 34-23 that would be more than enough as they pull pull away to win by 25 69-44 the final kelsey ransom with 20 points, 7 boards, 5 assists, 9 of 14 from the floor for the junior from from jersey 13 off the bench for, it's weird, Kennedy Fauntleroy coming off the bench, but the star freshman for the Hoyas was 4 for 8 from the floor and a perfect 3 for 3 from behind the arc. 8 points for Jada Claude in 21 minutes, 4 of 11 from the floor, 7 for Grace Ann Bennett in 17 minutes. 6 points in 9 minutes off the bench from Victoria Rivera, who knocked down a couple three-pointers in just 9 minutes and then looking around, three uh, three players each with four points. Kalia Myricks, Brianna Scott, and Arielle Jenkins. And then Christina Moore was held scoreless in 31 minutes, but getting the start instead, Modesty McConnell in seven minutes got to knock down a three in getting the start in this game. And Fawn Leroy obviously came in and played most of those minutes that McConnell, that would, that would, she was playing the starter minutes, essentially. Georgetown, 41 29, edge on the glass. They forced four, 24 turnovers, and they hold North Texas just to just three three pointers on 16 attempts and hold them under 40% from the field. 14 points to lead the way for Jocelyn Moore for the mean green, 5 of 15 from the floor. Two of six from deep, twelve for Quincy Noble in thirty-four minutes, eight for Ariana Hardaway. Four each for Tamisha Lampkin and Anaya Johnson, the latter of which did off the bench. Those are only bench points of the game, and then two points for two points for Kendall Magruder. So Georgetown, I mean, listen, they've been looking good out of conference. They're 7-2 in non-conference play this year. 1-2 and two in the Big East. Xavier slide continued. I, I had a feeling Memphis was going to win. But given how it was tightly contested, Xavier was up heading into the fourth quarter. But Memphis just made enough plays down the stretch. And they end up winning this game. 66-63, the final. So tough way for Xavier to now. I mean, I mean this this kid's been a tough one. In December, they've lost four of five. They've lost five of their last seven, after a five and zero start, leading the way for the Tigers. 17 for Jamira shoots. And she did a uh, she shoots, she scores. Like, and she scored 17 in this game. Five of twelve from the floor, one of six from deep, six of six from the charity stripe, though. 12 for Madison Griggs, five of thirteen from the floor, and two of seven from behind the arc. Big reason why Memphis won this game, the bench was superb. 26 combined bench points compared to just nine for Xavier. Memphis had more depth in this game. Nine points off the bench for Amani Jefferson in 29 minutes. In 20 minutes, they got seven out of Shelby Brown. Four points from Tanuel Welch. And then three points each from Destiny Thomas and Micaiah Brooks. And Brooks only played two minutes and knocked down a critical three. I mean, they also got six points from... Jada Wright in 19 minutes, three points from Destiny Jackson, and two points in seven minutes off from the free throw line, six rebounds from Hannah Riddick. Xavier shot better from the field at 26%. But you look at the ways they lost the game. 17 turnovers, just 50% from the free throw line, seven of fourteen. Memphis was 14 of 24, and Memphis also made six three-pointers compared to just four for Xavier. Michaela Scarlet with 18 points on 6 of 11 shooting, one of six from deep. Kasia Woods, 13 points in 31 minutes, five of eight from the floor, and three of six from deep. Courtney Pranger fouled out, 10 points, four rebounds, five of nine from the field. Nine points for Anaya Harris, three boards, six assists in 33 minutes, four of nine from the floor. Taylor Smith had 8 of the 9 bench points for Xavier, 4 of 9 from the floor in 15 minutes. 4 points, 7 boards from Fernanda Ovalle, 2 for 6 from the floor, and then the only other bench point came from Nyla Blackford in 22 minutes. So, really tough times for Xavier. I mean, I think they should be kind of happy that they get this reset now uh, before they really go more more so into Biggie's play coming out of the holidays as they welcome Butler probably you know their most winnable game I would say on the Biggie schedule and it's not a knock to Butler it's just you know if there's anyone you could possibly draw coming out of the holidays if you're Xavier you probably want Butler I mean I mean I know I'm thinking way too ahead, but, you know, that's just my philosophy. So probably the most surprising result from Wednesday, I wouldn't have been surprised if Colorado beat Marquette. What did surprise me, though, was the fact that Marquette never led, and the Buffs led by as many as nearly 30 And they were up 29 going into the fourth quarter, at 56 to 27. It was actually 35 13 at halftime. Really tough, disappointing loss if you're Marquette. Buffs dominant in Milwaukee, 71 48. Leading the way, 17 for Quay Miller, seven of 13 from the floor, three of six from deep, 16 from. Aaronette Vonley, 8 of 11 from the field in 32 minutes. 15 for Jalen Sherrod, 6 of 8 from the floor, and knocked down her only 3-point attempt after the game. 8 assists as well. 13 points, 7 boards, and 4 of 6 for Freda Foreman, 5 of 9 from the floor, and 3 for 6 from behind the arc. 6 points off the bench for Tamea Sadler in... And then four points in 19 minutes from Tyana Jones. Colorado dominated Marquette. They dominated Marquette on the glass. 38-25. They played tremendous defense. They hold Marquette to just 4 of 20 from behind the arc and under thir- just under 33% from the field. Where from three themselves, they were nearly 44%. And they were awfully close to hitting 60% as a team. I mean, that made up for the fact that they... N- It was a pretty clean game for the most part. Only 11 combined free throws, six for Colorado, five for Marquette golden Eagles made four. Colorado. I mean, at this point, making two of six from the free throw line kind of becomes a moot point, but I know that that's what they're going to have to work on that, you know, for the rest of the year. They can't win a lot of games shooting two of six from the line, but they were so good in this game that that was not so much of a point of concern. Only one Golden Eagle in double figures. That was Jordan King with 10 points, 7 boards, and 4 assists. 4 of 9 from the floor, 1 of 3 from behind the arc. How about 9 points off the bench from Mackenzie Hare? 4 of 12 from the field, but I mean, 1 of 8 from behind the arc, 18 minutes off the bench. 8 points each for Chloe Murata and Emily LaChapelle. Chapelle 3 for 8 from the floor and 2 for 5 from behind the arc. Murata was just three for 11. Six points in 10 minutes for Kennedy Miles off the bench. Liza Carla was held at just four points in 31 minutes. Rosen Kumu held scoreless. Nia Clark only had a free throw in 10 minutes. And then uh, Juliana Okussin in nine minutes had two points. So, tough way for Marquette to, you know go into the holidays in a game where easily their most lopsided loss of the season. Meanwhile, St. John's now with a number in front of their name, hosting Wagner, the 25th-ranked Red Storm. They started off with a really good first quarter. Double-digit lead at the break, and they really pulled away in the fourth quarter, a 22-7 to 7 margin. So first and fourth quarters, you want to take a look at the numbers, is 45-19. The other two quarters, the middle quarters, it was only thirty-five, thirty-two, but in the end, St. John's, that's a, another blowout win, 80-51. Jayla Everett with 24 to lead the way, 7 of 15 from the floor, 3 of 8 from deep. Kadesha Bailey with 14 in 32 minutes, 7 assists, 6 of 8 from the floor, and 1 of 2 from behind the arc. Unique Drake, after having some tough shooting days, she's still putting up points. But much more efficient in this one in 23 minutes. Two of five from the floor, but both of her makes were from behind the arc. And she only took two threes. And again, converted on both. Now, you love to see it. Eight points in 12 minutes off the bench for Danielle Patterson. Six points for Mimi Reed in 27 minutes. Five off the bench for Satota Hines in just three minutes. Four each for Raven Peoples and Jillian Archer. Also, they each had nine rebounds. And then they got a three from Danielle Cosgrove and uh, two points from Sky Owen and a free throw from Jayla Donald. 39-21 edge on the glass for the Redstorm. And they shot nearly 51% from the field, 41% from behind the arc. As for Wagner, just 35% from the field. They were actually better from three-point land at 6 of 16. 13 points, the team high, for Lena. Uh, I'm going to try this again. Lena Lokenish. 5 of 7 from the floor, 3 of 5 from behind the arc. 10 points for Zania Tybel 4 of 10 from the field and 1 of 2 from deep. Six each for Malia Mapondo and Alex Cowan. To the bench, five points for Angli Ricard. And then four each from Marissa Sanchez-Henry and Julia Fabozzi, who, by the way, transfer from Providence and then they got 3 points in 15 minutes from Drea Hayward the senior from nearby Newark, New Jersey. So St. John's now 12-0 heading into that you know heading into the holiday break and they got their next game isn't until New Year's Eve when they take on Georgetown. And then the last game to round this all out a pretty good game, uh, Louisville-DePaul. Louisville started off red hot. I mean, 25-14 after one, and it looked like, heading into the locker room, it was going to be a 20-point game. But Darion Rogers knocks down a three at the horn to give DePaul just, just that little bit of momentum that they needed to mount a bit of a comeback. And, I mean, they went on a big run. In the second half, to trying to see what the lowest they got it down to, well, they got it down to a four-point game with six and a half to play, but Louisville, they got those big-time players making big-time plays for a reason. Haley Van Lith was clutch, as was Chryslan Carr, and Louisville. Comes into Chicago and wins 81-67. 21 to lead the way for Carr. 17 rebounds, 7 of 13 from the floor, 3 of 6 from behind the arc. Van Lith, 7 of 17 from the floor, and 1 of 5 from behind the arc. Both of those players played all 40 minutes. 11 off the bench in 24 minutes from Marissa Russell, 4 of 5 from the floor and a perfect 3 for 3 from deep. 10 points for Morgan Jones, 4 of 8 from the floor, 4 boards, 5 assists. Van Lith had 5 boards and 5 assists. 9 points for Olivia Cochran, who fouled out. 4 of 6 from the floor also had a couple rebounds. 7 points in 11 minutes for Liz Dixon. And then 6 off the bench, 3 of 4 shooting in 14 minutes for Nyla Harris. The Cardinals, 54% from the floor and an even 50% from behind the arc. Darion Rogers, who hit that first half buzzer beater, led the way with 23 points, 4 boards and 6 assists, 7 of 17 from the floor and 3 of 7 from behind the arc. Nisa Morrow just didn't really have it in this game. 17 points, 5 boards, just 6 of 24 from the floor and 0 of 8 from behind the arc. 16, though, for Anaya Peoples, who had kind of gone MIA offensively up until I would say December 12th. The last three games she has definitely come alive. If you want, you know, adding it all up, her last three games, she's averaged 13 points. So 16 in this game, 8 rebounds, 6 of 13 from the floor, knocked down one three-pointer. As I said, it was a three-pointer that got it down to just four points at, at the 6.30 mark of the fourth quarter. She was one of four, like I said, from behind the yard. By the way, zero bench points compared to 17 for Louisville. That's another big reason why they lost. Eight points for Kendall Holmes, who also played all 40 minutes. Three of seven from the floor and two of five from deep. Morrow played 38 minutes. Her and Jory Allen were in foul trouble. Allen with three points and seven rebounds in 29 minutes. And then off the bench, Kiki Rimmer and Zariah Hurston did not score. Rimmer 12 minutes played. Hurston just one minute played. And DePaul was just 6 of 26 from deep. That's 23%. They were just around 35% from the field. Louisville was a heck of a lot more efficient. In this game is DePaul. They fall now to 9-4 and four on the season. So. That is going to do it for this episode. I know it was jam-packed. But I just wanted to knock a lot of this out. Because. You know. In the coming weeks. Well at least next week. I, I want to get some things moving. You know some interviews. Hopefully we get some biggest alumni on the show. Which, some things, some discussions on that currently in progress. Um, don't want to give too much away, but I mean, I have been in talks, you know, at least trying to like cross some T's, dot some I's to get some uh, former Biggies players on the show. Hopefully, I can maybe get one immediately after the holidays, but that is going to do it for this edition of the Igloo. First combined edition in quite some time. Thank you all for tuning in. Happy Festivus if you celebrate it like I do. Or if you're just a Seinfeld fan. It not, not, doesn't really matter to me. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Um, no matter what you celebrate. Hanukkah. Christmas. Or if you just don't celebrate at all. I mean. That's cool too and. And even you know, happy Kwanzaa. Obviously, you know, by the time Kwanzaa comes around, as I've come to learn, you know, it'll be after Christmas, so I still want to get just a you know happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. Whatever you celebrate. Wish y'all well. Enjoy the holiday season. Again, spending time spend it with your families which I feel like that goes without saying. I know I will. Um, I will catch you all on the flip side of the holidays. Um, Hope at least, you know, if you find some time Sunday, make sure to watch DePaul and Creighton on Fox 430. Uh, Should be an exciting uh, Christmas day matchup. Definitely providing some Christmas cheer uh, with some holiday hoops. So thanks for tuning in. Once again, I appreciate every single one of you who listens and supports the show. Because in turn, you're supporting me. You're supporting the conference that I love so deeply, the Big East. So, again, thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas. And happy holidays to all. And I will catch you on the flip side after Christmas on the coolest podcast in all of college basketball, the Igloo. Happy holidays, everyone.